0: Thank you for joining Auto Network Reports, our award-winning podcast, two years in a row. And today we have Mr. Dave Bolt, taxgarage.com, to spend some time uh, talking about the industry. And a couple things I want to go over before we get into the topics of the day. We're going to talk a little bit about Fisker. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Cox Buyer Survey. Gonna talk about the weather and how it's affecting batteries, EV batteries, and we're gonna mention the pace scale of a lot of the automotive uh, retailers out there. The people who actually did what we used to do, Dave, making fifty dollars a week, they're now making over two hundred thousand dollars a year. Seriously, <laughs> average. The average
1: and i'm sitting here
0: roosevelt yes (laughs) the (laughs) average so we're gonna we're gonna touch on that but first we have a recall uh ford's recalling 200 well two million rather explorers the trim around the windshield uh may disengage which could possibly cause an accident with debris flying off and hitting somebody else's car and as i always say visit nitsa.gov, enter your VIN number and see if your Explorer is on the recall or it may be on the recall and you another car may be on the recall and you didn't even know it call your local dealer, make an appointment, be nice and get that taken care of.
1: And this, and Roosevelt this is where I ask, in 2023 and I don't think these are new Explorers I think there are a few right. years ago, twenty. But, I, go ahead but, but regardless, it's within the last few years. How is it that we don't know how to install windshield trim on an explorer ford is a multinational that builds hugely complicated devices in the hundreds of thousands a year and we've got a recall on windshield trim it to my way of thinking that's baffling just can't understand that
0: well on the last show we mentioned Ford, and we meant we also mentioned that In 2023, Ford had more recalls than any other car company. So they're continuing that Uh in that vein. So, yeah, there are a lot of things we always wonder, why can't they do better? Right. And this is is definitely one of them.
1: The good news is relative to the news about Boeing of late, this term won't fall off at 16,000 feet.
0: Exactly. You may get struck by a piece of debris, but you won't be sucked out of an airplane. That's right. That's right. But anyway, moving right along, this uh, this next thing, you always hear me say this on every show. If you know an African-American male that's 30 years older, please make sure he visits his urologist and get that PSA exam. It's the little prick that could possibly save his life. Unfortunately, this month, uh, I think it was last week. Martin Luther King Jr.'s son, youngest son, sixty-two years old, died of prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much too uh, young. Much, much too young. It's—I'm not a physician. All I know is that research shows that if it's detected early, it can possibly be placed in remission, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can speak to that fact because I'm I'm a survivor of prostate cancer, and I know a lot of other guys that are also, and I and I always say if you're not an African American male that's 30 years older, but it's the second leader leading cause of death among American men. Mm-hmm. So that's you too, Dave. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> sure.
1: yeah, yeah. And, and uh, obviously, it's a subject that uh, if you're male, you're sensitive to. For God's yes. Sake.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, and unfortunately, it's the it's the end that most men are sensitive to. It's that digital rectal exam that excites some, but keep a lot away from them, from their urologist.
1: Yeah, can that be done via Zoom, Roosevelt? Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can zoom anything now. <laughs> But anyway, let's get to the topics of the day. Let's talk about Fisker. Fisker, as you know, is one of these direct-to-to-consumer EV companies that have popped up. And they have decided, well, maybe direct-to-consumer is not going to work for us. And, you know, we're small. We don't have all the big bucks. So they're going to partner with 50 auto dealers uh, this year. So they're out now doing their research, doing their homework trying to find 50 dealers. And I think they may have found one. I don't remember the, the city or the state, but they may have found one that they're going to partner with. And it's going to be a partnership. And they found that's going to be one of the ways for them to increase sales and deliveries. And the other side of the business, which is most important is, you know, that service aspect. Right, when right. you buy one of these things, just because it's electric doesn't mean it doesn't require any service work.
1: Well, and it, it, this is tangential to the Fisker conversation, but Hertz's announcement that they're divesting themselves. I don't think they're selling off all of their EV inventory. Yeah, all of it. All of
0: it? Okay. That's, that's I, what I mean.
1: put you in part of the serviceability issues that they're encountering with those EVs. And I know right. rental cars have subjected to things that your own car might not be. But still, when you go with the premise that this is going to be easier to maintain or less maintenance intensive than an internal combustion car, and suddenly it's not, and you're multiplying it's not by 20,000 vehicles or whatever, uh, it becomes really telling when you've got this direct to consumer model with no real service facilities beyond, well, dial this 800 number and we might come and repair it there at your house.
0: Well, along the lines of customer service, <coughs> which is always a touching subject subject, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the auto auto business, you know, you and I both sold cars. And some of the cars that I sold, the manufacturers, you knew once they drove over the curb that they would be back for service. And some, when you saw the, the owner come back to the dealership, it was to thank you for helping them to buy, to buy the right car. But um, my sister had an experience with a dealer i'm not going to talk about or give you the name of the manufacturer but just to give you an idea of how customer service is just a term and it's, i don't think it's still practiced like it should be on the car side she had a coupon that was sent to her for an oil change for x amount of dollars she called to make an appointment they couldn't get to her right away a couple of days later she called back made an appointment went in and they wanted to double the price of the service and told her that they did not honor that coupon it didn't come from from her my sister used to work with me working with dealers when we had our car buy, car buying service uh-huh. so she spent a lot of time talking to dealers about about service and customer service so she knew how to handle the situation right yeah. the guy said well i have to go to the manager and and check he went to the manager and came back and said well we didn't send that again she she texts emailed them over the coupon that came from that dealership mind you so rather than them taking the time to do some research instead of giving her lip service they chose to go the lip service route and came back and said the price was increased because (laughs) we gave you a higher quality of oil oh my god (laughs) so you talk about You know, we we say some stupid things and think people are just dumb. Yeah. And unfortunately, it doesn't help how people feel about going to an auto dealer. Right. Right. But this is not just auto dealers. Last week, a group of us, 12 of us, as a matter of fact, went out to a steakhouse to celebrate birthdays in the family in January, which is quite a few. Again, An appointment, a reservation was made for a table of 12. We thought it was going to be 12. Two more people showed up. Uh, The manager said, well, we can't seat but 12. The other two will have to go on the wait list. And they will have to go to the end of the line on the wait list. So we're saying, wait a minute. (laughs) We've waited over an hour. (laughs) They should go to the head of the line. Or why can't you put them at another table that's close to where we are? Right. They don't have a problem with that. Long story short, it didn't happen. She was talking everything except how she could accommodate us.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, but I, again, I really Customer service is just a term. It. it I was gonna it, say it's becoming a contradiction. You know. Exactly
1: should not put them in the same sentence.
0: Right. And my and my brother-in-law happened to mention going online for a review and she had the nerve to say, "Are you threatening me?"
1: Oh my god. Yeah. What a shame.
0: But anyway, moving right along, let's get into the Cox buyer survey. Cox is saying that 71% of people want to complete their buying process at the dealership. So no matter how Customers are being treated, in a lot of ma- in a lot of dealerships. Consumers would still prefer to do their initial search online, and complete the transaction at the dealership.
1: I would agree with that personally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think thing, it's
0: and I think it's because of two reasons. I think people still want to see and drive the car before and, and they does, before they spend the drive. big bucks. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: They they really ought to drive the vehicle. Vehicles drive differently. You shouldn't be shopping for a car in your pajamas. You should get dressed and go to the showroom to finalize the deal. Yeah.
0: And the other thing is only because franchise dealers can sell new cars, that's where you have to go to get one. Trust me. Mm -hmm. If you could get a new car anywhere else, and going back to direct to consumer tesla tesla has demonstrated that people will buy a car someplace else other than a dealership because they don't have no. tesla doesn't have dealers no. and again dealers keep shooting themselves in the foot and i'm sure there are a lot of dealers out there that do all the right things and unfortunately we don't hear a lot about them and online sales is on the increase it's really not a sale it's, it's online research and you've made a decision to purchase, but you still have to go to the dealer, you know, to consummate the transaction. So
1: I, I love getting online with the car that I'm interested in the quote unquote, build your own. Right. I like to see what colors you can put together, what trim levels cost, that sort of thing. So obviously online makes huge sense. Uh, 20 years ago, you were visiting the dealer from the get go. You might or might not see the dealer's order book because they have a strong preference for selling you what's in inventory rather than ordering it for you and waiting five or six weeks for that deal to be consummated. So uh, I like the notion of building it your own. I like to know where what dealer might have that car or what dealer, if it's close to me,
0: doesn't have it and right. go from there. And one thing, and you probably experienced it when you sold cars as well, A lot of people come into a dealership, they've done their research back then, looking at the brochures and everything, and they come in and they buy a totally different automobile and a totally different color. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So so if you're sitting in front of a professional, and most of these salespeople folks are professionals, they do this for a living, you are not going to outdo them when it comes to the sales process. Right, right, yeah. That's, that's, that's their right. business. And I don't know, you know, we talk about Stellantis all right. the time and the changes that they've been through, and they've recently made another change, and maybe that's why we're not seeing them at the auto shows. If, uh, they have a new COO, uh, Carlos Zelinga. I think he was in charge of their um, South America operations.
1: Or, or Mexico Would it have been Mexico? Uh,
0: Mexico. I I, I think he he did some time in in South America, Mexico, but he he has a lot of international experience. And now he's going to be the COO here in the United States. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction, again, Stellantis goes. It seems like, what, every 10 years or so or less, they they have a big shakeup.
1: Well, I, I was going to say, I think it's more frequent than that, Roosevelt, with regard to shakeups at Stellantis. But, uh, but then again, it's just a lot of acquisition, reorganization. Uh, I'm still wondering when you put Stellantis in an article and don't explain right. that it constitutes what we know as Chrysler, Dodge, or what we know as Dodge, Jeep, <laughs> and Ram. If you don't provide that explanation, kind of like calling it x and then immediately adding used to be Twitter. And I'm not sure how long that's going to continue with X. But with Stellantis, I always wonder, who knows what the hell Stellantis happens to be unless you explain it. But, yeah, it's a multinational. And by virtue of that, they've got a churn, an executive churn, that if you follow the business is really hard to fathom. They've got a new uh, executive for Fiat in North America. Right. And uh, apparently is being interviewed about the new 500E, the electric variant of the iconic 500, that presumably they'll sell through dealerships. I'd be hard-pressed to find a Fiat dealership at this point in time, even in a metro area like Washington, D.C., where I happen to live. Right. The Fiat signage is essentially gone. They claim to have 330 dealers nationally. I don't know where they are. And uh, the same could be said for Alfa Romeo. They're a little more visible, but in the great state of Texas, where my principal outlet is, TexasGarage.com, they have a dealer in Dallas, they have a dealer in Fort Worth, and they have a dealer in Austin. This is serving 22 million people, no outlet in San Antonio, no outlet in Houston, and you want to compete with BMW, Audi, etc., from a uh, product standpoint, sales standpoint, when people can't find the dealerships in most zip codes of Texas for guys. Right. Yeah. Crazy. I, I would argue if they need to fill an executive gap, it's that dealer organization manager, the guy who puts dealers, puts signs up at dealerships and gets dealers excited about handling those brands. And well, they may, should-
0: may, Maybe they should have a conversation with BYD management over in China, because they're now the number one global yeah. auto company.
1: Well, and and I don't
0: know what a BYD is. I don't think I've ever seen a BYD.
1: Right, right. Well, and Volkswagen, which is celebrating its 75th anniversary in this country, established first and foremost, that regardless of the product, you better have the dealer network. The reason Volkswagen sells a few hundred thousand vehicles a year here in the U.S and Renault sells none is that Volkswagen was setting up dealerships in the fifties and sixties while Renault and some of those lesser European brands were operating out of gas stations. And obviously the gas stations didn't impress the buying public Volkswagen stores did. And they've got a, uh, an organization 75 years later, that's a testament to that early work. And for whatever reason, the Italians just can't get with that program, maybe because, they're italian. I don't know. Yeah, they put they put so much passion into the product that they kind of seem to think that their work is done and it ain't. That's I think the bottom line.
0: Well, again going back to the the direct to consumer model. I think it's a good model and unfortunately here in the United States to sell a new car as you have to sell it through a franchise new car dealer and the dealers have worked years to make sure that that is a difficult hoop for you to be able to jump through and not have a dealer network
1: yeah they've got the state legislators locked up
0: exactly and tesla came along at the right time and found an opening that worked for them right And you're trying to find other manufacturers that are trying to jump through that, that hoop. And they're finding that if you don't have the big bucks, even in cases where you have the big bucks, you're not going to make it unless you have a dealer network. Right. Right. And I think the only one who may still survive this will be Tesla. Mm -hmm. I think the others are going to have to bow down and work through dealers
1: and based on stock prices for the others i think uh, the investing public has that same perception as right. i understand it virtually all of the lesser known ev brands you know it's almost penny stocks at this point based on their investment value
0: and you know i mentioned at the top of the show we're talking about the automotive <laughs> dealer the retailers and this this study shocked me when i heard that the average Salary now of a retailer, and that's somebody who works at a car dealer, whether it's in management or down in sales all the way. You know, I guess they take the average of all the employees in the dealership and they come up with an average. <laughs> and it's over $200,000 a year. Good for them. That's real money.
1: Oh, you bet it is. Yeah. E- even in expensive zip codes in these United States, that's real money,
0: yeah. Now you may be working over 40 hours a week, but $200,000 a year is, that's serious money.
1: Well, you would hope if, and frankly, I'm still hard pressed to imagine that salespeople as a whole are knocking on six figures. I was, uh, when I started sales in 1980, which was another lifetime ago, I was making about 50 grand selling BMWs. When I got out of business, I would have loved 12 years, 13 years later, I would have loved to have been making 50 grand selling anything and I wasn't. But but in the early going, that generally speaking was real money. 50 grand a year selling a three series BMW that retailed for about $13,000. And today they retail for about 50. So if you can extrapolate and know that the, the core product is four times more expensive. Everybody ought to be making 200 grand, but I doubt on the sales floor that they are.
0: Well, when I sold cars, which was several years before you did.
1: Even though you're much younger.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's that olive oil. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And the, and the background. Yeah.
0: But we did have a couple of guys that were making over a $100,000 a year. Good for them on the sales floor.
1: Right, right. And, and this and, is what, what and, brand was about. And
0: we were selling, this this was in a Nissan store. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So even back then, it was doable.
1: Well, I, I was going to say when my folks, I was watching my folks buy cars in the 60s and early 70s. And typically it was GM product. And you had these, salespeople on the floors start shirts, expensive ties, expensive suits for God's sake. right? These guys were selling Buicks and Oldsmobiles and making real money doing, it. you know, and the cars were three to $5,000. Exactly. But not only did they dress well, they carried themselves professionally in part because they could in part because they knew how to, and in part, because they had to, that was the standard that was set on the showroom floor. But uh, when I left the business for the most part in the early 90s, those standards were gone, right. and as was the income.
0: Well, now you see, if this study is true, the income is there. So right. it's, an, it's an industry that needs a lot of help. It's an industry that needs professionals. It's an industry that needs people who are looking at the industry as a career and not a stopgap until they can find something else to do.
1: Right, right. They And it's so much less expensive to retain salespeople than it is this churn of retraining a staff every six weeks or so. Right. Uh, to be sure that retraining keeps some sales managers employed because that's why they're there. But it isn't sustainable from a business standpoint. Shorten the hours so that more women can get into the workforce More family people who bring a stability to the environment can be in the workforce. Uh, The notion that dealerships, showrooms have to be open 75, 80 hours a week is ridiculous. They don't need to be. It's, It's a principal purchase, especially now when people can kind of alter their work schedule based on just getting the work out and not punching in from eight to five. They can visit a showroom in the afternoon or late afternoon in a manner that they couldn't have done 10 years ago
0: well when i had the car buying service one of and i had 27 what i called back then consultants and they mm-hmm. each they each were assigned a credit union to go to from like 9 to 5 or whatever the credit union hours were no weekends mm-hmm. and i had a lot of female consultants but i sat back and it, it's probably because I had the opportunity to raise my daughters uh, after divorce. Mm -hmm. And I understood what a single parent went through. Mm -hmm. It ain't easy, folks. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, you have a full-time job and your kid's sick. The first place you want to be is where the kid is, not on the full-time job. And a a lot of times management doesn't understand that. Right. So I think I... I could empathize with the mother who's a single parent. The child was sick or they could only work four hours a day versus the whole eight hours. Mm -hmm. And I found that I split the time. I would find somebody who, okay, say I can only work from nine to three or nine to two or nine to 12. I say, okay, let's find somebody who can work the rest of the day. Right, right. And I would have two different consultants going to the same credit union, mm-hmm. and they were happy. They, you know, they did excellent work. They knew they only had, you know, they, they were going to work four hours, so they, they worked four hours. Right. And they were. Yeah. Everybody was. It was a win-win and happy for everybody. And we can do that in a lot of sales positions here in the United States. You can do that on a regular basis, but we don't want to try and accommodate. The people that make us money.
1: Right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how, many, how many people that are semi-retired or fully retired that would like to punch into something 20 hours a week? Right. And, and if you could job share with a like-minded individual, you, you'd find those people. They, they talk about vacancies and their inability to fill them. Well, they're simply not looking at the right places. If you send in a resume and you're over 60 years old, that resume is not going to be looked at by a set of eyes And an algorithm is going to kick it out immediately. And there are people that don't want 45, 50 hours a week, but they'd be thrilled with 20 to 30 hours a week.
0: You know, how many how many parents have you heard talking about their kids? They didn't know what what they were doing. You know, why don't you go out and get one of those good government jobs? mm -hmm, (laughs) A nine in in essence a nine to five. Right, right.
1: And and they will excuse absences if your kid is ill. Right, right, but but to be sure, you won't make two hundred thousand dollars a year unless you're a Supreme Court justice.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe. But maybe. in the little time that we have left, I want to talk about what the climate has been has unfold and what we keep saying over the years about EVs, batteries, uh, charging stations. Mother Nature dictated a couple of weeks ago that we still control what, what happens here on the mm-hmm. ground and what happens with these man-made products. And we found out that EV batteries do not work well in extremely cold temperatures, which are, I will say, a rarity, but they are becoming more and more frequent. Right. We saw oh. this during the summer when we had record temperatures. Mm-hmm. EV batteries... Most batteries don't like extreme hot and extreme cold.
1: Did you read what the degradation was for battery range in extreme cold? I, I know there was a lineup of Teslas at their EV charging stations, uh, but but I guess I didn't go into the weeds with regard. The
0: report that I saw, I think the Audi e-tron only lost 16%. Okay. And I think the Tesla batteries, if I'm not sure, were as much as thirty percent.
1: And of course Tesla's recently realigned their range expectations based on consumer complaints anyway.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's some it's it's another issue that consumers it's well, it's really not an issue. It's something else that you have to be concerned with if you're looking to buy an E V.
1: Yeah, and again it kind of gets back to home charging or reliable access to charging at work rather than relying on the infrastructure or lack thereof that's out there in available to the motoring public
0: right and yeah. you know unfortunately consumers heard about this the wrong way mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. now everybody's going to be thinking well if i'm living in a cold area my battery's not going to work like it's supposed to
1: Right. Well, and the yeah.
0: follow-up story was, which was just, which is just starting to come out, is how you can precondition your battery so that these things aren't as severe as they were a couple of weeks ago.
1: Do you cover them with Vaseline, like NFL players? Yeah, you wrap
0: them in a plastic bag. And
1: <laughs> no, what is what is the key?
0: Pre. I think some of the man, some of the manufacturers now have um, the way to preheat the battery. Okay. Okay. And t- part of the story was preconditioning the battery for the heat, which means I guess warming it up a little bit before you take it out on the road and what go on the trip. Just like people get in a gasoline car and turn it on and go in the house, or they start it remotely and go in the house and let it warm up.
1: Yeah, well, and engine block heaters. You exactly. Know, in Minnesota, your car has an engine block heater.
0: Exactly. Right. right. But the stories didn't cover any of that
1: mm-hmm. obviously
0: because it wasn't sensational mm-hmm. right
1: right well let me ask and i know we're kind of close to being out of time but Go let ahead. me ask you were at the uh launch of the EV9 this Correct.
0: week yes and
1: what and looks like a stunning vehicle from what i can tell in the photography and reporting but uh was the slowdown of e- or the reduction of EV interest was that addressed during the presentation by Kia, or are they just kind of blowing and going and happy with the way things are?
0: I think that they're going the way things are. We had the top guy from Kia there, and he gave a presentation talking about sales, and okay. they didn't seem like they were going to cut back. Okay. Uh, the EV nine is it's it's phenomenal uh, for an electric vehicle of that size and of, of that. And- it's three rows. Yeah, of that weight. Uh-huh. Um, I jotted down some stats for you. It has, if you get the all-wheel drive, the, the GT line, which is what they have for, for us, which was the top of the line. I think the base model starts at around 50,000. The GT line goes up around 70 plus thousand.
1: That's it what I has
0: a seeing. 99.8 kilowatt dual battery. Gets 337 miles per on a charge, 379 horsepower, but the kicker is 516 pound feet of torque, mm-hmm. <laughs> zero to 64.5 seconds. Did it feel fast? It's fast. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. If yeah. you've been in an EV, EVs will snap your neck. Right. Because right. it's instant torque. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will think that it's the horsepower that makes people feel that the car is really fast but it's the the off-the-line torque but it's that off-the-line instant torque and this car has that off-the-line instant torque my only complaint about it is the b pillar is extremely thick and wide so you have a blind spot if you if you're old school driver that looks over your shoulder to make sure that that there is nobody in the lane rather than using the technology or in addition to the technology
1: Mm Of course, Um, with zero to 60 time in four seconds, you can be ahead of the traffic. Yes. You don't don't need to sit in traffic.
0: (laughs) But, you know, if you're always ahead, there's somebody behind you. So you have to be looking back.
1: (laughs) True enough. True enough. And uh, did you feel the weight of the vehicle? All all EVs are typically heavier. I mean, that's a heavier vehicle than a Telluride is, which is probably, uh, from a footprint standpoint, pretty comparable. But it probably outweighs the Telluride
0: tell you ride by half halftime. Well, Did it it, it outweighs it. It has more interior space, and okay. no, I didn't find I didn't find the cars being heavy. Okay. You know, I I remember driving the original Hummer when it came out, and you're on an interstate. After a while, you you, you don't even realize that you're in a Hummer. Uh huh. You know, it feels it feels like a regular car to you until you <laughs> you know you see how until you notice how much of the lane that it took up.
1: Now was this the was this the H one? Yeah. Did you did you have the enemy firing at you? Or was
0: this <laughs> oh, he, yeah, all the cars were saying, "What in the world?" All the drivers saying, "What in the world are they doing on the road with that thing?"
1: I was going to say, I remember seeing those at, at toll booths. Yes. You know, <laughs> and, and literally there was just inches between the width of the vehicle and uh, what they had set up because those people designing the toll booths. Had no idea an H1 would eventually.
0: That it's you. coming, yeah. yeah. But no, it's, I didn't find it to be overwhelming on the road. Uh uh-huh. I found it easy to handle. Uh,
1: I, I I know it's it big, excellent
0: but, braking, stopping power. So they right. took that into consideration.
1: I, I love on the Telluride, uh, which is a three row crossover, I love the footprint because it feels smaller than it actually right. is. And right. I, I see that in a lot of Kia platforms. That they drive smaller despite offering a lot of room inside.
0: But no, I think that if they can get, and I always say this, if you can get the consumer behind the wheel, they'll sell everyone they can make.
1: Right, right. And behind the wheel, can I say this? I just been at the Washington Auto Show. Okay. Behind the wheel is not an EV test track at a convention center. I mean, I understand if you've never, ever been behind the wheel or sat in an EV, there might be some education in that. I would not wait in line for an EV test track drive at a car show. I would get a dealer list, and I would visit a dealer that had one in stock, and I'd go for a genuine demonstration drive.
0: Go to Hertz.
1: Well, now go to Hertz.
0: Go to Hertz. <laughs> <Go> they <to Hertz>. have. <laughs> They have a few sitting around. Yeah, but they'll try it
1: next month. They'll be gone. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I want to thank Dave for taking the time. I know out of his busy, busy schedule.
1: Well, and I may not be here next week, Roosevelt, because I'm, okay. going be, I'm going to become a $200,000 a year car guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not something to sneeze at anymore. You know, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. but there, And in there, car sales, age is no barrier, I don't think. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, the barrier. Do I want to do this? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's there's a barrier. Yeah. If if I could job share with three other like-minded people, three other. <laughs> which would still be 20 hours a week. Exactly. Cuz it's, it's an 80-hour show. <laughs>
0: right. But anyway, I want to thank those of you who are watching the live podcast i want to thank those who are watching the repay replay rather and i always ask that you visit the social sites of each one of the panelists in this case it's mr dave bolt textgarage.com that's txgarage.com and
1: we love the clicks Roosevelt. we love the clicks yes. yes
0: and as always if you know an african-american male that's 30 years older, make sure he visits his urologist and get that psa exam and I send my condolences out to the, the King family. Please buckle up. Don't drink and drive. Please buckle up. Don't text and drive. See you next week, Dave. Maybe. You bet. You,
1: you will. You will, Roosevelt. I'm not going to get hired. <laughs> Thank you. Bye <care. laughs> bye.